The following feature has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. Home box office will show this feature only at night. Thank you. Have a nice day. Oh man, multiple sadness. Time to start. Folks, quiet. Three people in the audience. Welcome to Multiple Sadness, a horrible podcast about horrible movies. So bad they're good, but still mostly bad. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we take our clothes off and board a rocket ship in this episode's movie, Naked Space. Now, you might be saying to yourself, is a movie like Naked Space even worth reviewing? Naked Space isn't Naked Gun. It's not even close. But to that, I say all bad movies deserve a review, even the ones that bring us multiple sadness. And with that, let's open the show with the trailer to Naked Space. Space Freaks, welcome to the spaceship Vertigo, whose five-year mission is to seek out new life, have it baptized, teach it table manners, and find a creature who doesn't have to phone home. A Starfleet Commander Jay Jameson will give you a first-hand look at what space adventure is all about. Never a moment's rest. You'll be getting plenty of help from First Mate Rosinski. Santa, people. Eight, fourteen, seven, thirty-three and six, a third. Joining them are morale officer Annie McHugh. Woo! Hey, nice bot. Ship's Dr. Stark. He's Stark Raven Man. I need this organism. They'll have to call it the Stark Organism. It was John who did discover the organism. You're going to call it the John Organism? And Captain Chef John. (laughs) If you really want to get your rockets off... I have to go to the bathroom, but I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. Take a ride on the only rocket ripping spaceship in the universe. (laughs) Find out what nine out of ten alien creatures want for dessert. I want to eat your face. We don't want this piece of snot on board our spaceship. It could just be so yummy. Face in my tummy. <laughs> this creature means no harm. Oh! <laughs> Remember, in spaceship, everyone can hear you scream. Spaceship, void were prohibited. See it, or we'll have to make a sequel. Originally released in 1983, Naked Space was written and directed by Bruce Kimmel. You might know this director from the first nudie musical, and he was also the writer of The Faculty, which was released in 1998. IMDb rates this film 3.4 out of 10 stars. 
According to IMDb, people who liked this film also liked Dangerous Curves and Nightstick, although I think it's getting those from the faculty connection. I think a closer connection is the final movie that it recommended, which was The Mad Trapper, which it adds in quotation marks, this project was unfinished. Naked Space stars five actors, and four of them are probably people you're familiar with. The first one is Cindy Williams, and she plays Officer Annie McHugh. Uh, You know her probably most from uh, Shirley, from Laverne and Shirley. Um, Doctor, did you happen to catch the lyrics? Second is Captain Jameson, who is played by Leslie Nielsen. I'm going to go and see if it's still there. Good idea. What? No. No, you're supposed to say, don't go. Look, you're the big heroic captain, coach. Go see if it's still there. It is not that I don't want to go, but I am the captain. And you realize if something happens to me, who will be in charge? Rodzinski here. Leslie Nielsen at this time was most famous um, during that era for his role in Airplane, although he had had many serious roles before that. And obviously he's uh, very famous now, very well known for his roles in the Naked Gun movies. Third is Rosinski, who is played by Garrett Graham. Now, you might not know the name, but Garrett Graham is a famous actor. He was in Used Cars. He was the technician in one of my favorite movies and another movie that appeared on this show, which is Chopping Mall. He was the skateboard manufacturer in The Search for Animal Chin. And he was also Bud the Chud in Chud 2. Um, he also voiced Franklin Sherman, which was the father on The Critic, which was very surprising to me. Rodzinski, if you don't stop annoying people, I'm going to put you on report. Mercy me. Not on report. Quiver, quiver, quiver. That does it. You're on report. The fourth actor in this film that you may be familiar with is Patrick McNee, who plays Dr. Stark. Uh, Patrick McNee is most famous for portraying John Steed in the original Avengers television series, which aired from 1961 to 1969. If you'd excuse me, put it in the oven. I have work to do. Oh, Doctor, uh, aren't you going to see the movie with us? No, it really might relax you. I'm perfectly relaxed. Science relaxes me. Would you care for some pie before you? Science is my pie. Curiosity is my sweet tooth. Knowledge is my candy. He also played the Imperious Leader, which mostly you heard only through voice on the Battlestar Galactica television show. So four very famous actors are put in this film. And then there's a fifth actor, Bruce Kimmel as John. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Cooking with John. I'm John. No shit, Sherlock. Bruce Kimmel, as I just mentioned, was the writer and director of this film. So it only goes to reason that he would also star in the movie. Bruce Kimmel, I've never seen him in another role, but physically he looks a lot like Chevy Chase if Chevy Chase were a foot smaller. So that pretty much rounds out the cast. That's every human being that you see uh, on the screen except for computer and television footage, which we'll talk a little bit about. The tagline listed for this movie, there were actually two taglines. One was, get your rockets off on spaceship. And the other one that appeared on the movie poster was, in space, 
No one can hear you slurp. Here is the movie summary that I put together. The crew of the spaceship Vertigo is traveling across the universe when they run across an undiscovered planet. The crew decides to investigate the planet, and on the surface they discover a tiny organism that resembles goo. Back aboard the ship, the goo eventually grows into a human-sized monster that breaks out of its container. Now, Ultimately, the monster begins to hunt down and kill members of the crew, but not before it performs a song and dance number called I Want to Eat Your Face. And that is the summary of Naked Space. Now, before I get into anything, you may be wondering, hey, this sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen this movie but under a different name. This movie actually exists under three different names. Um, and I'll talk about that, but just hang with me. If, if you're thinking to yourself, hey, this sounds familiar, <laughs> hang in there. Uh, how did I first hear about this movie? Well, this movie was in heavy circulation in the early to mid-80s on HBO. And we... Started getting HBO at my house when I was really young, and this movie seemed like it played multiple times a day. And so my sister and I watched this movie countless number of times. We were uh, just obsessed with this movie and watched it a million times. Now, when we watched the movie, it was called Spaceship. <laughs> Rodzinski, you are sick. And when we get back to Earth, I'm going to recommend a lobotomy. And the first title that I knew the movie under was Spaceship. And the reason that this movie was named Spaceship was to tie it into the movie Airplane, which also starred Leslie Nielsen. So when this movie was originally released, it was called Spaceship. Now, when it was re-released into uh, VHS, uh, well, <laughs> let me back up. Uh, it did have an original theatrical release. And when that was uh, released, it was called The Creature Wasn't Nice. So that was the original title of this movie, The Creature Wasn't Nice, which most people do not know under that name, but we're going to bring it around full circle here in a minute. So the original title was The Creature Wasn't Nice. Uh, when it went to cable and VHS, that's when it was renamed to Spaceship. And again, uh, it was named that to try to draw a connection between this movie, Spaceship, and the movie Airplane, which Leslie Nielsen starred in. Uh, later, when it was released on DVD, the movie was again renamed to Naked Space. This was again an attempt to draw a connection between this movie, Naked Space, and Naked Gun, which Leslie Nielsen starred in. The movies have nothing to do with Naked Gun, but I suppose, alphabetically, in a movie store, Naked Space would be right behind Naked Gun, and it would also have a picture of Leslie Nielsen on the cover, so consumers might have been confused or tricked into also uh, renting or buying this movie. Now, the cover breakdown uh, is a little bit difficult because there are so many different releases of this movie, and many of them have different covers. But the ones I'm most familiar with was the release that says Spaceship. And on the cover of that, there is a 
an actual like a model of a spaceship and it's being hung by strings and there are also cutouts of moon and uh, uh, you know of a moon and stars and they're also hanging with strings so I think that's supposed to give this kind of idea that it's a uh, a low budget title uh, then the second title when I bought this on DVD was Naked Space and on this one Leslie Nielsen's face is the primary face everyone else is very small and in the corner of the cover but Leslie Nielsen's face is very large it, it is the biggest face that's uh, uh, prominently displayed on the cover itself uh, well it's been two weeks since that historic journey I have not lost the sense of having done something really great I haven't lost that sense either. Now, most recently, uh, the movie was re-released under its original title, which again was The Creature Wasn't Nice. And uh, the cover on this one is very bland. It's very not exciting. It is essentially just a uh, a star field. And in the background, it's um, almost like that kind of – it's not an Aurora Borealis, but it's like that kind of a – different color fades. There's purples and blues uh, that are over the stars. And then the center is a, almost like a black hole. And that's where the text is uh, for the name of the movie where it says the creature wasn't nice, but it's um, certainly doesn't give you any information about the movie other than the fact that it must take place in space. Do you mind trying to steer? Steer? This is a multi-billion dollar spacecraft coach, not a car. The problem and sometimes I say problem and then I walk back that word, but I won't this time. <laughs> the problem with this film, and this is well documented, is that uh, Bruce Kimmel made his original film called The Creature Wasn't Nice. And for whatever reason, when that film was turned in, the studio decided to hack it up, cut it up, move all the parts of the movie around, rearrange everything and that is what got released as Spaceship. And that is actually the cut of the film that most people are familiar with. That is certainly the cut of the film that I grew up watching on HBO. Um, the problem with that is that the timing for the entire plot is thrown off. It's very strange. For example, in that version of the film, and this is, again, the film, it's the version that I rewatched this week, is... Um, after the opening credits by the, by the third minute of the film, they have discovered the mysterious planet and they are already on their way, you know, to go down and, and visit the, the, the planet. So this is really what should happen at the end of the first act. This is something that should happen half an hour into the movie, but I guess to speed things along, they put it three minutes into the beginning of the film. It's an unknown and undiscovered planet, and it looks like you discovered it, Doc. An unknown and undiscovered planet. And I discovered it. Um, now, the problem that occurs because you move that around is it no longer follows a traditional plot structure where you have three acts. So there's a lot, all the filler is thrown into the middle. I mean, because there is a big payoff with the reveal of the fully grown monster. But in this version of the film in Spaceship, because the plot has been chopped up and rearranged, uh, you have an exciting moment at the first three minutes of the film. And the next exciting moment is an hour into the film. 
all the filler, all the whatever you would call the B plot, all of that stuff is then put between those two points, which makes this a really long and drawn out film, which I don't think the original cut feels that way. And again, if you purchase The Creature Wasn't Nice uh, on DVD, you get a original cut of the film, although it's not very good quality. It's, it's, um, I would say VHS quality, but it's below that. It's, it's like second generation VHS quality. So, uh, it's definitely not DVD or, or HD or anything like that. If you want to watch the original, but it, it's less about the quality and more about the uh, order of the cutting. It also contains a lot of, uh, cut scenes that are restored into there, but in the original cut or not the original cut, but the cut that most people know spaceship. Again, they discover this uh, mysterious planet at the three-minute mark. And then there's a scene of the crew having dinner from the 11-minute mark to the 15-minute mark. I mean, it is a four-minute scene that just feels really drawn out, especially after something you know exciting has just happened. I'm hungry. What is this delicacy tonight? Ah, synthetic duck with synthetic a la orange. It's a little tough, John Boy. Now, is that any way to talk after John spent all afternoon preparing this meal? And right after dinner, they go into another scene, which is a talent show that the crew has decided to put on. And that goes right after dinner from minute 16 to minute 21. So you have basically 10 minutes of the film where it's very slow. There's a, a couple of, of light laughs during this section, uh, but... Uh, uh, I mean, it immediately slows the film down, you know. There's more filler that I think was used uh, originally probably to pad out the length, but that is also put within this section. For example, um, there are shots of the crew watching television and they watch shows that have nothing to do with the plot, but they're, you know, it, it's just, again, it's it's filler. It's just there for jokes, but when it's all lumped together in this one chunk, it just kind of gets old. Doctor, how is our living organism doing? I told you I'm not hungry. Oh, I didn't ask you to eat it. The organism, Doctor, how's it doing? Oh, <laughs> sorry, I misunderstood. Fine, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. Hunky dory, everything's good. Swell. Now, about two thirds the way through the movie, and this would be traditionally at the end of the second act. And that's kind of where it is uh, still is that they find the creature. And then about three fourths the way through the movie uh, is where the hunting of the creature takes place. But again, uh, it, it seems really compressed because what they've done with this cut of the film is put all the boring stuff, not boring stuff, but non action related stuff and non high comedy stuff in the middle. So you kind of have this first five minutes, then you have an hour where you're waiting for a one joke payoff, which does come. I mean, you are rewarded <laughs> if you stick through this movie uh, for an hour, you are uh, rewarded with basically a very funny scene where the monster is hooked up to the ship's computer to translate what he's saying. And then we get to hear what the monster has been uh, screaming all along, which is basically a song about how much he wants to eat their faces. I want to eat your face. 
it could just be so yummy. I'd like to have your face in my tummy. Again, the problem with this is that, uh, I mean, I've already said it, but it's, it's, uh, you got to get people to that point. I've, I've tried to get people to watch this movie and all you can say for the first hour is hang in there. It's going to get good. Hang in there. <laughs> Eventually something funny is going to happen and it's going to be good, but it's just getting people, uh, to that point. That's difficult. I don't think there's a lot of social commentary in this movie. There's not anything political. There's not anything about space exploration or anything uh, like that that's referenced. Uh, the only thing here is that this is essentially a parody of the movie Alien with a couple of song and dance numbers thrown in. So that's really, uh, you know, externally, that's the only thing going on. Uh, normally, during this show, I talk about the direction and the editing, uh, but that is difficult in this movie because, again, as I've already said, uh, that it's been edited and, and cut and moved around. So the, uh, the editing is not what the original editor, uh, put together. In fact, if you watch the original cut, the first 30 seconds are a gag that has been cut out of this film. Now I suspect it was cut out because, uh, the ship is pulling up to a, a planet that looks like McDonald's and they say, you want to eat here? And they go, no, nah, we'll just go somewhere else. It's a really a throwaway joke, but it, it, it does. It, it's not hilarious. It's not really even that funny, but it does plant the seed within the first few seconds that, oh, this is a comedy. Oh, this is going to be kind of a fun kind of movie, you know? And with that scene cut out, you, you lose that in, uh, in this cut of the film. I hope you realize the importance of this discovery. We are on the threshold of something new and unknown. Gosh, I could shed a brick. Uh, again, in regards to the writing and the acting, well, I would say as far as the writing goes, the biggest problem that this movie has is that every character is a single note. Like the captain is always clueless and he's always trying to convince people that he's more important than he really is. He's pressing buttons. He's doing things. He's constantly telling everybody he's the captain. He's the only one that can fly the ship. Max, what course are we on? It's a far-out course, Captain. Deep into the cosmos and headed for infinity. Hey, I like that. Why on earth did they ever make these abusive, emotionally unstable computers? Okay, just trying to keep things light. Then you have Rosinski, who is the sarcastic, uh, insubordinate member, and he's also a pervert. So every joke is about one of those things. He's either uh, attacking one of the fellow crew members or he's making a pass at Annie. What now? Captain! Then you have the doctor, uh, who is naive about the danger. He Everything is about science. This is an amazing moment for science, and this is so important about science. And he does not seem to be... Uh, you know, concerned at all that this tiny piece of goo that they've picked up is now, you know, seven feet tall, has a giant eye in the middle of his forehead and is running around screaming and eventually even breaks out of his container at one point. I feel like Christopher Columbus in search of a new world. Me too. Now, there is a part in this movie that used to confuse me 
that the monster seems to break out of his container and then they capture him back and then hook him up to the machine and then he breaks out a second time. I can't remember if it seems like in the original cut in The Creature Wasn't Nice that there's only one breakout. And I think maybe in the re-editing process, they've made it seem like the monster escapes two times instead of one. I'm not really sure. I'd have to go back and study that. But there's something weird about the editing there. But um, uh, And then, of course, you know, back to the characters and the writing. John is, uh, you know, kind of a bumbling doofus. He is the apprentice or whatever that has been brought on, and he doesn't know how to do anything. He cooks for the crew, but he's not good at cooking. Officer McHugh? Oh, John, hi. Hi, hi. Good morning. Good morning. I just wondered if you'd you'd like to sample my my latest entree. Oh, what is it? Synthetic chicken cordon bleu. Well, you know, I just had a big snack in my office, just sort of like nutrition. Oh, but I, I really need you to sample it because, you know, nobody else likes to sample things and you're just I, I trust your opinion so much well john could I... you do that for me please okay please okay. Yeah. Mm. would you like some pink liquid mm. 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 another bite oh 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 So, so you liked it then? Oh, good. Because we're having this for dinner tonight. And then you have Annie. She's the only woman on board. Uh, she is the psychiatrist. So she talks to the other people. Um, and she's really the wholesome one. And she's the, the the voice of reason throughout the entire film. She's the one that you know tells Rosinski to calm down. She tells the captain what they should do. She tries to reason with the doctor. So she is kind of the voice of the audience. She is the one that... Uh, is trying to keep everything on rails in this movie. Whatever it likes or doesn't like makes no difference because the door to that sample vault is strong enough to withstand any eventuality. Captain Jameson is right. So there's no need for any of us to behave rashly. Dr. Stark is right. We all have to remain calm as cucumbers. Officer McHugh is right. If the door to the sample vault is that strong, then we have nothing to worry about. John is right. No, I'm the one who said what John said. What's that? About no. the door being strong enough to withstand any yeah. of Okay, you're right. Dr. Stark is right because he As far as costumes and props go, well, the costumes, all five crew members are wearing the same blue jumpsuit. They have, um, uh, you know, name tags that have been sewn on. They, they have a couple different stripes on the arms, but they're all look like throwaway blue jumpsuits. The background, like as far as the spaceship itself, it's kind of made up of what I would call goofy 70s computer panels, lots of squares, uh, which is fitting for the era which this was made. Again, if it was released in early 81, uh, you're talking late 70s, early 80s. So it looks like a bad Star Trek kind of knockoff with big panels. You know, At one point, the captain says uh, oh hold on i gotta get the ship back on board and then he hits 20 buttons and flips all these switches and it's kind of done for um comedic effect but that's kind of what it looks like there's nothing really high tech there are some tv panels that the crew watches uh tv on but but uh you know again nothing really high tech uh there's also um later on as the crew is running around 
throughout the spaceship while they're chasing the monster or looking for the monster. Uh, they, they run through the same hallway at least 50 times. <laughs> and the only difference in the hallway is that there's a sign that says what level they're on, what hallway they're on, what section they're on. And that sign is constantly being replaced. And the camera is just being uh, moved from different angles to make it look like there's different hallways. But I think they built one T-shaped hallway with a little bit of a curve at the end. And that seems to be where a third of the movie is filmed as <laughs> they're running through the same hallway uh, over and over. Uh, so I always like to look up the uh, filming locations, but I'm positive this was all filmed on a, a soundstage somewhere. Even when they go to the planet, it's it's um, played up for comedic effect again, where it's obviously a soundstage. There are planets hanging from strings <laughs> in the background, and they walk around on the on the uh, surface of this planet. Uh, but the whole movie takes place, you know, on the ship. This one shot on the planet, and you know that's that's pretty much it. Um, now the soundtrack. Now Bruce Kimmel, the, the man who wrote and directed and, and also starred in this movie, uh, is obviously uh, you know a musician. He wrote other musical films. He's done musicals, and so when you buy. The Creature Wasn't Nice, it comes with the complete soundtrack. There are multiple music numbers. You can buy the soundtrack separately on Amazon. Uh, you could get it in uh, MP3 or stream, and it comes with 40 tracks. Now, there's only um, one, two, three, I guess three musical numbers that have uh, vocals in them. There's um, uh, Hold Me, Touch Me, Thrill Me. <laughs> that is the song that uh, Cindy Williams performs in the talent show and he comes out and it, it's a funny moment because everyone else's performance on the talent show is pretty um, mundane. And then she comes out with an entire dance number with lights and she's wearing a sparkling outfit and, and does a whole dance. So uh, that's pretty funny. Um, and then we have uh, the song that I mentioned before, which is I want to eat your face. This is the song and dance number that the monster performs and is the big highlight of the film. I mean, that is, you know, the comedic punch. That is the punchline of the whole film uh, as they've been trying to communicate with the monster and the monster. Eventually they hook him up to this uh, contraption where they can read his thoughts. And the contraption looks like a, a spaghetti strainer with two slinkies hooked to it. And they put that on his head. And then we get this entire um, song and dance number from the monster. And then at the end, uh, towards the end of the film, we have a third musical, which is called Bachelor Bills, and this is performed by John and Annie uh, later in the film, and it, it ties into the plot a little bit. So, But basically, you got those three numbers, but you have an awful lot of other music and stuff that's on the soundtrack, so I thought that was interesting. As far as special effects and stunts, well, there's very little CGI. I don't. I wouldn't say there was no CGI. In fact, um, it's uh, everything is done with uh, miniature models. Um, actually, that's not true. There's one ship, the um, uh, shuttle that they take from 
the main ship, the Vertigo, down to the planet, I believe is just a CGI. And it's just that when I say CGI, I really don't mean 3D modeled CGI. I mean, it is a, a picture that was drawn on a computer that has moved across the screen. <laughs> but everything else is done with miniatures, um, traditional types of effects, uh, practical effects. The creature is a guy in a big rubber suit. Uh, that you know the spaceship is a model, so there's not um, anything too magical. I mean, it's it's you know it, it's appropriate for the budget, it's appropriate for the time. Um, but I want to say that uh, you know the, the creature, the song uh, again is one of the highlights. Um, but there's a lot of highlights in this film if you like B movies and you like kooky lines or stuff. Uh, which brings us to the top five quotes. From the movie Naked Space. Number five. It appears to have eaten Dr. Stark. Appears? <laughs> that was unmitigated eating. Number four. Let's just hope that Dr. Stark is in a better world. He's in that thing's stomach is where he is. Hey. Number three. This could change the face of history. You don't understand, Doctor. This thing wants to eat the face of history. Number two. Boy, all that singing and dancing must have really given it an appetite. <laughs> Number one. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's ugly. Absolutely ugly. And now it's time for the killer bees. Wait a minute. You must be the... That's right, gringo. The killer bees. <laughs> The killer bees include bloody bodies, boobs, background blinks, B-movie tropes, and boggling questions that are left behind by this movie. Well, uh, again, this podcast contains spoilers. I always say that. So this is the point where we start discussing characters that get killed in the film. Uh, as far as bloody bodies go, first of all, we have the doctor, Dr. Stark, who is convinced that the creature is uh, harmless and wants to be friends, and to prove this, he enters the creature's cage where he is being held, where the creature rips off one of his arms, which we see on screen, and when he rips the arm off, it's obviously a fake arm that was being held on with Velcro or something. It's not really bloody. He rips off the second arm off screen, and then the monster proceeds to eat the doctor off screen. Now you see what you've done, Doc? You let something weird into our ship here. Now we're all in danger. We don't know what it is. Only out of control. Completely at the Shut up, you stupid cretin. We also have the captain, Captain Jameson and Rodzinski, when the rest of the crew split up to try to find the monster. And while they are arguing and fighting amongst themselves, the monster sneaks up and eats them as well. Again, this happens off screen, so we never actually see the monster eat anyone. So what began as a small gelatinous organism has now turned into a larger living, breathing, not to mention screaming organism. Now, very calmly, what do we do? Zap it. Kill the little loogie. Hold me back. You crazy? Do you realize what this means for science and mankind? Gee, Doc, I'm sorry. I can't speak for science, but I can definitely speak for mankind. And I say kill the mother. 
And finally, towards the end of the movie, uh, the monster is shot out into space. He is tricked and launched out into space, although this is not the last time we see of him. Uh, and this is performed by, it looks like the actor was pulled out of a door and hung uh, by a string <laughs> or some sort of wire harness. Uh, but again, not bloody. So I would say, I don't believe there is any blood actually within this movie. So if there's no blood, is there any boobs? <laughs> it's a strange thing to say. Uh, and the closest you're going to get to that in this film is uh, Rodzinski, who is the ship's uh, elected pervert, apparently. He is reading a copy of a magazine called Horny Honeys, um, and we see him reading that in the beginning of the film, which kind of establishes his character. And when he is eaten by the monster, that is the only thing that's left behind. It's kind of a running gag that the monster eats everything uh, of the person, but leaves behind something. So when he eats the doctor, all that's left behind is the doctor's glasses. And when he eats Rodzinski and Captain Jameson, all we see later is Captain Jameson's hat and Rodzinski's magazine he left behind, which was Horny Honeys. There is a scene that feels out of place in this movie. And that is uh, when Annie, which is Cindy Williams is sunbathing in her uh, office, which she does multiple times. And so they put her in a swimsuit and she is working on her tan in outer space. This seems very strange to me. And the only, it has nothing to do with the plot. And the only thing I can think of is they really wanted to get Cindy Williams in a bathing suit, but it feels very forced and it feels, um, Especially even now today, when we're more conscious of things like this in films, it feels it feels very forced and a little bit awkward that they would take one character, the only female character, and put her in a bathing suit, and that they would have her tanning. The logistics of this is very strange. Like you would build a spaceship and you would put a tanning lights and stuff in someone's office, and I don't know. It just seems like not like something that would really happen. Although. If you're worried about things that might really happen, this is probably not the movie for you. Uh, for background blinks, I did notice that Rosinski in several scenes is wearing a Grateful Dead hat. Again, I think this probably plays to his character, although I wouldn't be surprised if that was the actor's real hat. Um, there's a lot of stock footage that appears in this movie. We see shots from Forbidden Planet. We see some other shots of... Um, Godzilla style movies when Max, the ship's computer is showing other footage of, of planets and things like that. Um, and there is a scene that I saw where captain Jameson is pretending to control the ship, but he is playing the Atari 2600 version of space invaders. Now what's interesting about this is that the screen is upside down. And so you'll notice that on the top part of the screen is normally what's on the bottom. It's the ship moving back and forth and it is shooting down instead of up. And you'll see the aliens on the bottom half of the screen. So why they, they flip that 180 degrees, I'm not sure, but I just, that was something that definitely caught my attention. For B-movie tropes, the most obvious one is the monster chase towards the end of the film where the crew is running around the hallways. It felt very much like a Scooby-Doo episode where every time you ran down a tunnel, the monster would be here or not there. There's a scene where uh, they're trying to find the monster and the monster comes up and puts his hand over, uh, I believe it's John's, uh, no, it's Rosinski, uh, puts it over Rosinski's shoulder and he's standing there and he and he's 
saying the, 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 the monster, you know, that sort of thing. So it feels very cartoony, very childlike, uh, which does kind of go with, with the, the feeling of the movie. I would say the theme of the movie is not for children, but it's definitely for early teens. It's that kind of stuff where you're like, you're hinting, oh, yeah, he wants to go out with, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Annie. But he doesn't really say anything vulgar. He just kind of says, hey, you know, I, I want to go out with you and that that sort of stuff, you know. So it, it's very kind of – it's not even as hard as, as Porky's or something like that. It, it's kind of early teen kind of stuff. And when I was a kid and watched it, I didn't get any of the dirty jokes anyway, so – uh, you know, there's some references later on where when he's talking to um, Dr. Edwin Rodzinski, he's talking to Annie about, you know, how what he thinks of her. And, and there's just kind of some innuendos. But as a kid, that all went over my head anyway. So I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm uptight. I have these dreams at night in which I'm taunted by disembodied breasts and thighs. I need a woman, McHugh. Remember, a major part of our training was to remain asexual. I am asexual, a sexual fiend. You look so pretty sitting there in your sexy little space outfit. Come on, one little kiss, one little kiss. Rodzinski, you mm. must keep telling yourself that I am not a woman. Uh, the other B-movie trope, I would say, would be, again, the uh, characters and how they all have one note. So there's not any development. There's not any arc of change for any of the characters. It's just, you know... This guy's the captain. This guy's the pervert. This guy's the doctor. And that's who they are. And they just perform that role throughout the whole film. For boggling questions, we could probably talk for about five hours. But <laughs> I, I had to kind of narrow it down. But um, number one, one of the boggling things that always bothered me about this movie is why the doctor would keep the growth of the creature such a secret. He wanders around and he's measuring the creature and there's a scene where he, he comes out and he kind of does that mime thing with his hands where you show how big a fish is and he starts small and then he makes his hands bigger. And so it's this gesture that we can tell that the creature is, is growing, but he refuses to tell anybody else on the ship that this is happening and why that would be a secret is just really makes no sense, you know? And then when the creature has already burst out of its cage. So they realize that they can't hold it in their hole and they get it back into a different holding area. And the doctor wants to prove to everybody that the monster is not dangerous. He doesn't know that the monster is not dangerous and he gets into a locked cage. This is kind of like, uh, I don't even know. It's like those people at the zoo where they, get into the animal cages and they're like, look, the bear's not going to hurt me. And then the bear hurts them. <laughs> so why, if you were a doctor in a spaceship, why would you do this? It just makes no sense. You know? And speaking of the monster, once it has broken free, there's no plan on the ship of what they're going to do. They say they're going to run around and find it. But when they split into pairs, two of them don't even have a weapon. And there's one tranquilizer gun that they've used that did put the thing to sleep at one point. But, uh, but you know, and, and this ties into another uh, boggling question, which why there aren't any weapons on this ship. You would think any ship in the future that's flying around in outer space and doing whatever they're doing, going on missions and going to unexplored planets and all that, like they wouldn't have a single rifle. They wouldn't have any kind of weapon 
for you know in case something they encounter maybe a bad creature. But again, uh, even when it does break loose, like my first thing is, why don't you land this ship or get in the shuttle, and get out of here? But that there's never any plan like that. It's never really brought up. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it's not a serious movie. It, it's a goofy, silly movie. I mean, if a monster's performing a song and dance routine, obviously the characters aren't supposed to be, um, you know, handling things from a logical point of view, but they're kind of played serious and straight. And so uh, they're only playing. They keep saying, well, we got to kill it, but they don't have a way to kill it. I don't know. It's just frustrating that they don't come up with like, I, I feel like if I were trapped on a spaceship with a killer monster, I could come up with 50 plans in a hurry and they never seem to come up with one that, that really works. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, I would say boggling questions. There are many. Great. Margie, you will never guess what happened today. In Virginia, doctors reported the first successful body transplant. The body transplant was performed on Mr. Harvey Furman of Virginia. Mr. Furman declared, I feel like a new man. There are many wonderful advantages to my new body. Everything has been transplanted and rearranged for greater strength and mobility. The only problem is I have to take a leak and I don't know where my pee-pee is. So for my final random thoughts about Naked Space, uh, I got to say that, number one, this movie is a mess. And it is because, it's partially because of the way that it was edited and chopped up and moved around. But if you watch the original cut, it's not that much better. Uh, if Bruce Kimmel ever happens to listen to this, I'm sure he will be banging his head on the table. Because in the commentary tracks on the DVD for The Creature Wasn't Nice, he really talks about how he thought that he made a good movie and that other people ruined it by cutting it up and chopping it up. Um I think they made a different movie by doing that. I don't know that it's better or worse. And of course there is an entire generation of people my age that grew up with the recut version, which was spaceship and naked space. So for us, that is the movie and the original cut feels very strange and, and weird. And the pacing is, is much different. So, um, you know, as far as a traditional type film with a normal story story arc and things like that, um, it is kind of a mess, but I will follow that by saying this movie is fun. I mean, there are fun things going on. You have a, a talent show, you have goofy things, you have jokes, you have people running around and a monster chasing them and song and dance numbers. And as a kid, I loved this movie and I'm not going to lie. I own one, two, three. I own at least three copies, physical copies of this film. I own a VHS copy of spaceship. I own a DVD copy of naked space and I own a DVD copy of the creature. Wasn't nice. Uh, so I mean, it, it's not just because it's, uh, you know, not an Academy Award winning film doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable. It is uh, an enjoyable film. The problem, again, though, with that recutting is that the payoffs are really too far apart. You get the first payoff within the first five minutes, and then it's an hour before you really start to get to the critical action. So it, it's just things are spaced uh, too far apart. Now, my rating, that makes this difficult because what would I rate this um, as a film and what would I rate this as how much I enjoy this, you know? So how much do I enjoy this movie? Five out of five. 
I love this movie. I've watched this movie probably at least two dozen times throughout my life, maybe more, probably more, uh, because as a kid, we watched it so often. But I've, you know, again, like I said, I've purchased The Creature Wasn't Nice, which was the the latest release. It came out a few years ago on DVD, and I've watched that. Um, there, what, it, that has both versions of the film. That has the naked space cut or spaceship cut, whichever you prefer, and the restored cut. And between the two, I think those have one, two, I believe three, maybe four commentary tracks. So if you like the movie, that that DVD is a must purchase. Um, but I just enjoy, I've always enjoyed this movie, and uh, I do still watch it on occasion. <sighs> on what to rate this movie? I don't know. I think I think if on your first watch, you know, if you like B-movies, you might give this a three out of five until you get towards the end and all the action kicks in and the fun, and then you, you might bump that up to a four out of five. So, um, again, it's a, it's a movie that I've watched a zillion times. I do love the movie. Um, but those long periods in the middle kind of kill it. Well, that wraps up another episode of Multiple Sadness. If you don't want the movie's ending spoiled, be sure to stop the podcast right when the closing music ends. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to check out my other shows, including You Don't Know Flack and Sprite Castle, both of which can be found at podcast.robohara.com. You can also support my podcast and get lots of bonus content at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Thanks again for listening. I hope you found a little bit of happiness in this episode of Multiple Sadness. Spoiler alert. After the monster eats Dr. Stark and escapes, the crew split up into teams to hunt it down. After the monster eats Captain Jameson and Rodzinski, John and Annie regroup and come up with a plan that involves luring the monster out of hiding with a song and dance number. The plan works, and the two trick the monster into stepping into an air bay, where he is jettisoned out into space. At the end of the film, John and Annie are about to enjoy a romantic dinner on the ship when the monster bursts up through the center of the table. This is revealed to be a nightmare John is having, and the final shot is of the spaceship Vertigo zooming through space, being followed by the monster. This thing shrieks like a banshee and hides in dark corridors. Now, do you call that friendly? How do you reason with goo, Doc? How do you reason with a slimy non-entity? The same way that we reason with you, Rodzinski. <laughs> <laughs>